Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Truth Be Known podcast. I'm Nathaniel Jolly. And I am Becky Tepps Pornchai. Uh, it's good to see you again this week, brother. And uh, at, at, um, we, we've got a good topic, which is really, I think, going to kind of tie into last week's topic even a little bit. Yeah, talking about the culture war, um, obviously what we talked about uh, last week, and it was about sexual, biblical sexual morality. That's a big part of the culture war that's going on. But is that the entirety of the culture war? That's really the question. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we, that was two, right. So two Sundays ago. So actually these last three. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and last week was to kind of talk about the change of the American atmosphere in the Western world in terms of persecution. That's right. That's right. Which is a change of culture. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then today, it, you know, we really, I really want to kind of hone down and you hear a lot of talk about the culture war. And in fact, I've been reading, um, I mean, various social media excerpts from various pastors over the last week that are making comments about everything from this is a war we should be fighting to um, fighting a culture war isn't the call of a Christian. We shouldn't be involved. You know, we're getting sidetracked. And I thought, you know, I I wonder um, how, how many guys are really talking from a biblical perspective about that. So what does the average person think when they hear culture war and cultural war or culture war and specifically what do they do with that you know um and i you know i i would just start off by making the statement that the church has always been in a culture war it's the culture of the kingdom of god versus the culture of the war uh the world we've always been in in a war in that sense yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I think terms are going to be very important and understanding of those terms are going to be very important. You know, it's just like when we talk about uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, there's a lot of people that have a false view of who Jesus Christ really was. Um, we talk about words like uh, like love and hope. There's the biblical, what the Bible means when it uses those terms versus what the world means. And it's the same thing with the culture war. There's the culture war, war maybe the, as the world would see it, um, or as uh, as Christians, uh, most Christians might see it who are not very well versed uh, with scripture, or, or Christians who have very specific kind of worldly type of agendas. They're going to interpret the court culture war very differently. But I think from the very beginning, you know, and really when we think about uh, from the, the fall, Satan asking the uh, that the woman, um, did God really say? And I think that ends up being um, Satan's uh, MO throughout all of history, and that's how he works through people. And that's why we see in Ephesians chapter two that we once walked after not only the course of this world, but after the prince of the power of the air. So the two, their uh, agendas are often um, tightly connected with one another with really Satan's agenda uh, informing the world's agenda, even if the world doesn't understand that. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think I've, I've got a ton of passages I want to hit on today because really I want to make the case that if you're in a Christian, if you are a Christian, you are in a culture war, whether you like it or not. And then again, I think, you know, as you said, to define terms. Now, I don't know, maybe, brother, you want to talk to what what you think most people understand when we say culture war, because honestly, uh, I, I don't really I hear I read a lot of responses and I think I don't know what you're talking about. What I know <laughs> is that um, when you bring the gospel message you are making and waging war against an unbelieving world. 
Um, yeah, I, I think of when I think of culture war, I think of Pilgrim's Progress. Um, you, you get Pilgrim and who was it? I think Faithful maybe um, in in the in the city of uh, Vainglory uh, or Vanity. I can't remember the Vanity Fair. That's right. Um, and and you see in that scene in Pilgrim's Progress two entirely different cultures, right? Um, they dress different, it says, and all of the, the, the people of Vanity Fair looked at them because they look strange, they talked like foreigners, um, yeah. using a heavenly language. Everything about them was contrary to their culture. Well, that's a, cult, a culture war. Um, it, it, you know, and maybe a lot of people are thinking of just strictly politics. I, I, I don't know. Do you have a better beat on that? You know, I think everyone would agree that we're in a culture war. The question is, where is it being fought and how do we engage in it? And I'll use an example, a simple example from really the last couple of years with uh, the COVID shutdowns and and churches being told to shut down. uh, Many of us uh, stood up and said, wait a second, um, we can cooperate for a little while, but it's becoming evident that uh, this is turning into kind of a long-term or indefinite kind of stance, and we can't do that. Uh, God's people gather, and uh, many of us made the decision that we're going to open up church again. We saw that uh, pastors in Canada were being arrested, and there was um, a lot of hate and complaints being made about um, even U.S.-based pastors who are opening up the, the the church. Well, from my point of view, that is one sense of the culture war, that the culture wants us to keep it shut down for whatever it is uh, that they think are the reasons and based upon their priorities. And other people might, uh, other Christians, I would say, um, would argue that we need to engage in the culture war by keeping the churches shut down because that's how we love our neighbor and convince them uh, that uh, that we do indeed love them. Um, the, the problem with that is that you don't love your neighbor by disobeying God. And, you know, obviously there, we can talk all day about uh, why that is. And I think we've had at least a prior episode that talked about that. Yeah. But yeah, the, the culture war is, um, you know, recognizing where it's being fought and, and exactly how you engage in it. And I think one of the biggest problems or one of the biggest temptations of the culture war is the temptation for people to take the wrong side. It's to, to think that we're going to engage in the culture war by really appeasing what, um, what, the, what the world wants. And, and that's, not, uh, that's not the way we engage with it. There's a, I would say there's an opposite extreme too. Um, so I, I told my church the other day that, you know what, if you're doing God's work, and you're, uh, you're out there in the world proclaiming his word, and the world loves you, then you're probably doing something wrong, right? I mean, yeah. if you proclaim the truth, um, even if you do it in love and kindness and, and reverence, which you should, by the way, um, you, you don't want to go out there with, um, with, with a slanderous, re- reviling mouth um, that's just beating people over the head with the Bible, right? So you go out there with kindness and, and respect and, and with love, but if you are proclaiming the truth, the world is still going to hate you. And, and if you do God's work, you, you know, if you do his will, what he calls us to do, and not simply just going out there and devoting yourselves to feeding the poor, building orphanages, hospitals, things like that. Not to say that there's anything wrong with those actions, yeah. but, but if you just do those things as an end uh, in themselves, as the goal in themselves, the world's going to celebrate you. Um, but if you do them very clearly for the express purpose of sharing with people that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, you know, watch how many, uh, how many, how many of those applauses turn into boos, how many of those smiles turn into frowns. And, and so we, we understand that our message is going to be contrary to the world, but then people can take it to an extreme, you know, where they go out inviting trouble. 
you know, where they go out and they're intentionally obnoxious. Um, they, <clears throat> they're just uh, yelling at everyone that, uh, that you're going to go to hell. And they really treat um, the people as the, you know, the world, that the people of the world as the enemy rather than as the mission field. Um, so, so there, there are opposite extremes. And really what we want to do is we want to engage the culture biblically, understand what the Bible calls us to do, how it's contrary to the world. And if you just stay faithful to the Bible, you're going to find yourself walking in opposition with the world, whether you like it or not. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a good point. And and to your point, I, I let me bring up a scripture reference because I think it, we hear things from various ministries out there who might um who might come up against that a little bit and and, and push back um about you know the fact that well we're we're definitely going to be persecuted, we're going to be disliked. Maybe we could be a little more friendly. But that's just not what God's word tells us. And you make that point. You go to 2 Timothy 3.12. I like this verse. It's crystal clear, maybe even clearer than some of the other ones, which are also clear. And it says this, indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Mm. And, and so it doesn't leave any room for maybe. Um, or perhaps, I think the question for us would only be, what form does that persecution take, right? And depending on where you live, um, it may take different forms and different levels of severity at different times. But the question isn't, will you be persecuted? If you are a faithful Christian, um, you're going to find some stage in your life pushback. Um, and that's because we are in a culture war, and yeah. we always have been. Um, you, you, make, you make another good point that uh, in this war, um, you know, we war against not flesh and blood, right, but principalities right. and darkness. And so, and the way we war, you know, predominantly is with the gospel. Um, you can go to uh, the armor of God and we can have that conversation. Um, but when you bring the gospel into the world, you're bringing light into a world that yeah. loves darkness, and that is a culture war right there, um, because light and darkness have nothing to do with one another. So we can't escape that as believers. And I think as we hear um, that phrase politicized, and I don't know, maybe that's always been a, a political phrasing. Um, I, I just really don't care. The truth is, according to scripture, if you live biblically, you are in a war, whatever you want to call that. Right, right. No, that, that's um, that's right. And I I think of um, John chapter six, the example of John six, I just got through preaching John six a few weeks ago. And that chapter starts off with close to 20,000 people following Jesus. That's the feeding of the 5,000, which really was close to between 15 to 20,000 people that were there. And then by the end of the chapter, there's barely more than a dozen people. And the reason was it wasn't because they that the people didn't want to follow Jesus. They did. I mean, that's what they, they were following him, but they were following him for, for food to be fed. They were, they were following him for signs. They were following him because they wanted a political ruler. Um, and then they, they couldn't make sense uh, of his words. And they certainly didn't like the fact that Jesus said, God, the father must draw you in, um, in, in order for you to, to be one of mine. Um, so, so they, they struggled with his words. They struggled with what both he did and didn't do. And, and that right there, um, I, I think shows the culture war, even from within the quote unquote church, because we have a lot of churches today that do what Jesus Christ didn't do, which was uh, appease the crowds. You know, you get crowds of people that 
call themselves a Christian, but they want you to do certain things. They want you to behave in a certain way. They want you to provide certain kinds of services. And, and so even Jesus, when dealing with his own people, the Jewish people, and I'm not even talking about the Jewish leaders, because John chapter six takes place in Capernaum mostly, and then, and then on the other side of the uh, Sea of Galilee as well. Um, that these were people that consider themselves the disciples of Jesus Christ. So if that's happening within the church, for sure, it's going to be happening with the world. And just as Jesus said, and we've mentioned it many times on our podcast, Jesus said in John 15, 18, if the world hates you, remember that it first hated me. And, and that's such a simple truth, but we lose track of that because when we go about the world and we see that the world is not responding to what we think should be just an obvious message when they're not responding even to our attempts at apologetics maybe to show them that their their views are are flawed and and the that the bible view is is superior you know we may get frustrated as to why we're not getting that response and and it's in those times that we totally forget that Jesus Christ said, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. So the, the spiritual war, it's rooted in the depravity of man, the fact that man in his nature hates God. And so no matter where you are in the world, uh, what, what part of the uh, world, what country, what culture, what language, uh, what people group, you are going to be dealing with people that in their heart of hearts reject God and, and they do not seek God. And so just by definition, that's going to lead to a culture war. And remember that these people that are leading the universities, they're they're the main thinkers of our age, of our society. They're the philosophers. They're they're religious teachers of, of other faiths and whatnot. So all these things, um, you know, contribute to the fact that the Christian is often uh, alone in the sense that the the world um, is not cooperating. Yeah, and I, I mean, you go back to Ephesians chapter two, and I think it's verse three. It describes those group of people who, before they come to Christ, as children of wrath. Yeah, right. I, I mean, that's an intense description. Um, children of wrath, you know, and so and and so we do have a different culture. The church has a different culture, and, and that's very interesting. You know, Jesus would not have made it. He would not have gotten any church planting funding from most organizations today. Um, right? He wasn't a great church growth strategist uh, on if you're just looking on the offset. I mean, he had, you know, 10, 12, 15,000 people following him and he knew exactly what he was saying and yeah. rather than say something palatable he said, unless you eat my body and drink my, eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no yeah. part in me. And what happened? The church exploded the yeah. opposite direction. Mm-hmm. Right? They, they all left. Um, and then, of course, he turns to Peter, right? Um, and uh, the disciples and, and asked the question. And, and so, um, I mean, that's a great indication of, you know, Christ's aim was not to appease people. It, it was to bring them truth. Lots of the things he did was to fulfill prophecy, and we understand that, right? Uh, We aren't doing that in our lives, but we do need to understand that we are in a culture war, and if you're trying to escape that, or if you think that's bad, then you misunderstand the difference between Christianity and the world, because the two collide, right? They cannot coexist uh, peacefully, yeah, and Jesus, when he came into the world, I mean, I've, and I've got the book of John in my head because that's what I've been preaching through. But uh, John chapter one talks about how 
Um, Jesus was the light and the darkness tried to overcome it, but it couldn't. And Jesus came to his own, but his own did not accept him. But I think of Philippians chapter one, verses 27 through 30. Let me just read this for you. Um, This is the first commandment that shows up in the book of Philippians from the Apostle Paul. Philippians chapter one, verse 27, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So Paul is saying that, and Paul is writing this letter, he's in prison. Uh, He wants to be able to come back and see the Philippians. He fully expects that he will. Um, But he's telling them, whether I make it to see you or not, what I want is is to hear that you guys are standing together, but not just standing together just for the sake of unity, but standing together for the faith of the gospel. That, That is the truth of the gospel message. And then verse 28, he says, in no way alarmed by your opponents. You see that he he doesn't even say if for some reason they don't accept it. He 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 actually presumes that that opponents are going to be there. He says, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. And then verse 29, we've talked about this verse before. He says, For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Um, so we, we talked about persecution last week. That's where the, this ties in. But the the idea here is that the persecution here comes from the culture wars, the fact that they're rejecting the truth of God. And, and Paul tells them to expect that. And then when you, and it's been granted, the, the word for grant, charizomai uh, in the Greek, same root as the word is great. So, in other words, it's been given to you by the grace of God, not only um, to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. So, the the culture war, engaging the culture war the right way is actually a gift given to us by God because it helps us to not only glorify God, it helps us to to grow in Christ-likeness through the difficulties and trials that are going to come. Yeah, that's a good point. And I mean, and brother, this should should permeate all, everything we do, right? I mean, so for guys who, I, I mean, I've seen a few comments that would kind of limit culture wars to what's happening in the political arena, but you, if, you know, you can't escape that arena. As long as you live in a country, especially like ours, where you have the freedom to vote and be involved in um, decision-making processes and things like that, um, you, you can't escape politics. And even if you're outside of that, yeah. you're always pulled into politics. And in the, in the most generic sense, politics is just centered around how a society works and functions and chooses to do that. And so you can't escape that. And Christians, you know, if you have a biblical worldview, that uh, there's no space that that scripture or that your life as a Christian doesn't flow into. And so whether it's how we educate our children or how you discipline your children or how you vote or who you support, um, you know, our commitment and our faithfulness is to Christ alone. Um, scripture is our highest authority, and that is through the that that's the lens through which we should do all these other things. And so, um, you know, if if you vote, you vote through the lens of what Scripture says is acceptable and not acceptable. What's right? What's wrong? What's good? Um, and then forget about party affiliation or um, you know being loyal to those things over Scripture. Um, if if every if every party and what we we really have kind of three contenders right uh if if all three major parties were to fully adopt and platform abortion 
guess what? As a Christian, I would say you could no longer vote for any of those. Yeah. Now, a, a lot of Americans wouldn't like that, but I don't really care what you like. Um, we as Christians, you know, we can participate in as much as it doesn't sin against our God. And if we struggle um, with those kinds of things, then we probably have some idols that we need to deal with. Um, so we just can't do this, not, not to make this a, a political podcast, right? But the point is, we've got to be faithful and we're at war. And oftentimes we get drugged into worldly ideologies and worldly thinking. Um, and in that sense, we fight on the wrong side, even as temporary or as small as it may be. Well, and I'm glad you brought up politics. <clears throat> I think we do have to address it. And it shouldn't be our goal just to be political, but it's impossible not to be political. Um, let me explain that. Um, th this past, I think it was a week or two ago, I was talking about the separation of church and state uh, when I gave my message about sexual, biblical sexual morality. And a lot of people have misunderstood that whole concept of the separation of church and state. You know, so for instance, when we talk about the issue of abortion and the fact that that's human life inside the womb that that is being killed, um, a lot of people will respond, a lot of the world will respond with, um, you know, don't force your religion upon me. And they'll cite uh, this, this ideal of the separation of church and state. That's why it's there. And that's a misunderstanding. Yeah. So the separation of church and state, it's not meant for a person to separate their voting from their religious convictions. And in our case, our convictions come from the Bible. Our understanding, our worldview, our understanding of truth comes from the Bible. So you can't separate your convictions of what's true from how you operate in the world. Um, so, so to say that a person should not, uh, sh should not exercise um, his voting rights uh, on the basis of his religious convictions is absolutely ridiculous. That's not what the separation of church and state was for. The separation of church and state was to keep the state out of church matters from enforcing its will upon the church. But that is exactly what's going to be happening. We talk about, talked about persecution last week, and I think both of us, we agreed that it was going to come through really this, the, the issues of sexual morality and especially the agenda of the um, LGBTQ community. You know, I think persecution is going to come from groups that don't want us to be able to say what is sin from the Bible. They don't want us to be able to counsel people who are caught in these sins uh, with biblical truth. Um, that's, the, that's the threat that our brothers in Canada are facing. That's uh, what the folks in Lafayette, Indiana um, are looking at uh, with yeah. Ordinance 3121. You know, so those are the whole idea of separation of church and state um, has been reversed um, by a lot of people. Um, everyone operates off of a worldview, that the worldview tells you what is true. And there's nothing for the Christian, there is nothing more true than what we see in scripture. So we have to stand upon truth regardless of how political it looks. So polit po politics, people have a very um, people have some very strong views on how they engage in politics. Some people are way too much into it, right? So yeah. it's all about the Republican Party. It's all about America, MAGA, Trump, all that kinds of stuff. And then for other people, they go off on the extreme opposite where they say, okay, I am completely ap apolitical and anything you talk about that has to do with politics, I'm going to shun you, you know, or I'm going to, you know, I'm going to reject or I'm going to say that you're focusing on the wrong place. Well, that, that's not the right way to think also that the right way to think is what are the, what, what does the Bible say? 
what are the principles that I draw, the truth and the principles that I draw from the Bible that inform me on how I'm to respond to events that are going around me. And whether it looks political or not, that should not that, that should not be something that you care about. Your 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 desire is to be biblical in how you walk and also in how you, you respond to the world around you. Whether it's political or not should be irrelevant. Yeah, absolutely. And it, I mean, look, the, the governments are made of people, right? And we give the gospel to people, right? We pl- proclaim the gospel to people. We want people to come to Christ as Lord and Savior of their life. And then the expectation is that they function um, in a way that's obedient to Christ, right? Jesus himself says, you love me if you obey my commandments. And so if you had a government filled with Christian people, you would expect laws to reflect Christian values. You would respect, I mean, we want those things anyway, not because we're theonomous, but because what's true is true, and that's decided by God, right? What is right, God gets to decide, and we want to see life function with those things. Um, And so, yeah, it's a good point with guys who are either two on one side or another, and it disturbs me often how much, you know, in, in even our own circles, um, I, I think we understand liberalism, whether it be in the secular sphere or the theological sphere, is always uh, always brings death. It, it, it murders everything it touches. Yeah. Um, but uh, oftentimes, I think in our own circles, we also get caught up in the worldly side of uh, of, of the right, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you mentioned yeah. the you know Trump supporters and all that kind of thing. Um, and, and, I, and I'm not bashing Trump or Trump supporters. Um, he's not a believer. Yeah, and I don't see any fruit of that in his life. I wouldn't definitely wouldn't claim that. I still pray for his soul to be saved. And yeah, and, and, I, I, and just to clarify, we we both voted for him, right? Yeah, so I mean, yeah, absolutely. You know, full disclosure, we both voted for yeah. him, and I and I would vote the same way again. Yeah, um, but <clears throat> yeah, and and you know, I and but yet I also pray regularly for Joe Biden to come to Christ. And I think if you're not doing yeah. that, then you're also wrong. I mean, Scripture Paul uh, expressly tells us to be praying for. Our leaders, and so if we make the person an enemy, how do you expect to share the gospel? Um, it, you know, if 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 you are conservative, uh, for instance, and you hate Joe Biden, and you ever had it, well, you ever had an opportunity to speak to him, well, I, I pray God doesn't give that to you because you'll squander it and you won't share the truth of the gospel with him because you're too busy hating him. Um, and, and so everything we do. It, we're involved in a cultural war, and it has to come through the lens of Scripture. And and again, predominantly, our focus ought to be on what the Christian focus is on, and that's what we call the Great Commission, right? Making disciples. Well, you've got to make converts uh, to make disciples, and I, I use that. We understand God's the one who converts people, but uh, He does it primarily by means, and that's through the preaching of His Word. Um, you know, so evangelism, however it is, you do that, right? Uh, whatever methods or opportunities God gives you. Um, and then we see people coming and come in to the church and become disciples, but that has to be our focus. And so if the thought is, oh, well, this is something our culture is fighting over, the, 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 the political arena is fighting over, I should withdraw and not be involved. That's not the right attitude. Um, especially because in American culture, if we're really honest, the war is almost wholly centered around morality. Yeah. And, and that is not something a Christian can back away from. We're not engaging in a 
in, in, in a quote unquote political war to stand up and say homosexuality is an abomination before God. It's detestable. Um, little Le- Leviticus literally says it's disgusting. It's detestable. It's abominable. Um, it, it, that's not engaging in some political um, war to say that. We say that because it's the truth, because it's a sin. We say it specifically because, well, we address whatever sins in front of us, right? I mean, both of us as pastors, if if we need to deal with something in the church, we're going to address whatever sin it is in front of us to deal with. So if someone walks into the church and they're telling everyone how awesome it is that they're an adulterer, well, guess what? We're going to deal with adultery. Um, no. But we live in a culture that is has elevated particular sins, and the two big ones we see are the LGBTQ community. It, well, it, actually, it's just one sin. Sexual immorality is the sin. Yeah. Abortion. Right. Yeah, that, that's at the base of both the LGBTQ right. as well as the abortion movement. Yep. Yeah. And so we have to speak to those issues. And it's not just a culture war. It's a war for the truth. And, and here's the bigger issue. If you don't engage in that war, then you can't say you love those people. Because in some sense, retreating is just leaving them damned to hell for eternity. Mm-hmm. Because we want to point them towards their sin so that they have a deep conviction and sorrow of their sinfulness, so that then they understand they need a Savior. And so right. w- when we give them the gospel message, the good news, right, we can see some, all of those who God's called, come to repentance. That's got to be our focus. And if we withdraw uh, like hermits because we don't want to seem to be political, uh, then we're just not being faithful to Christ. Yeah, I agree. We, we can't withdraw. Now, let's balance this for a moment. Um, and, and I think the goal of bringing people to Christ is a, is a worthy goal that we have to remind ourselves always. And uh, we don't withdraw out of fear. We don't withdraw because we don't want to engage. There may be times that you withdraw because you have determined that you don't want to throw your pearls before swine anymore. And then people are continually to, to continuing to reject it. And just as Jesus said, if, um, if you know, when he was sending out the disciples, he was saying, if, if any household does not receive you, then go out and, and dust off your sandals. So we exercise discernment. And, and the way we go about making those decisions is by wisdom, recognizing that the final goal really is to bring them to Christ. We are not here merely for social transformation. Um, I, I say merely that that's not our goal, where we're not out to simply just improve people's morals and improve the morals of society. And at the same time, if we stay silent as sin continues to grow, um, well, then we're, we're complicit. You know, I think of Ezekiel. Ezekiel was called to be the watchman, um, the, the watchman of Israel. And the idea for him is that as as um, the sins of Israel was continuing to increase, he would be the mouthpiece to warn them of what's going to happen if they don't repent. And if he does not warn them, then he's going to be part of the problem. Um, so we have to shine light. And Ephesians says, walk as children of light. And as children of light, that means we expose um, darkness, we expose evil um, where we see it. So, so we call it out, but we we call it out, not merely just wanting them to change their morals and then be done with, but we call it out in order to show them that there is a perfect standard that belongs to God and that all of us fall short of it. Um, so we don't want to be complicit in the downward spiral. I think of Romans 
once again, 118 to 34 or 32, when when uh, we talk about the wrath of God being revealed from heaven and how God handed people over to um, uh, d- d- you know their depravity and a depraved mind and into their sins of homosexuality and all that, um, we should not be a people that are silent over that. Um, we we need to be able to speak up and point out that that is not according to to God's design. And then, as we say that, look for those opportunities to be able to show them who God is, uh, how we are sinners all before Him, and why He sent His Son in order to die for us. So, no matter who is uh, against us, so to speak, in terms of our views, uh, the views that we draw from Scripture, they are not the enemy. They're they're being used as tools by the enemy. As you mentioned, they are children of wrath. They are sons of disobedience. And yet Ephesians 1 says that we've been predestined to be adopted as sons of God. So that, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to help transfer them uh, through the power of God from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Yeah, I mean, think how many times Paul said things like, such were some of you, and he lists out you know, a, an entire list of different sins, right? Fornicators and adulterers and homosexuals even, right? Uh, at, at least two places I know he, he mentions a list in that exact format. And, and so, I mean, that's got to be our focus. And so, I think we talk about, um, I, I mean, you've got, again, I've seen lots of pastors talk about don't engage in the culture war, and that's not what we're called to. And maybe that's just a, a difference of definition, you know, so yeah. we'll grant some grace in that. Um, but y- you just need to know that in our culture, if you're faithful, you're going to get sucked into quote-unquote politics, because politics has adopted moral issues to run on as a whole platform. So there's no way, uh, as a biblical Christian, you can get around standing uh, in opposition to abortion. You just can't do it. You've got to stand in opposition to that. I mean, we're talking about, I think we've already been desensitized. I mean, even in our circles, um, we've been, I, I think we've been incredibly desensitized. I and mean, we talk about how wicked it is and how evil it is. Um, and, and I'm going to say this is kind of as, I mean, really as a hypocrite myself, uh, but how much are we doing about it? Um, it's, it's good to say now that's not to say sometimes all we can do is be a voice, right? Um, but if we have opportunity, you know, we should get involved somehow, um, in those things we become desensitized because it's easy to talk about, uh, not real easy to do anything about that. Um, but back to the culture war, just the point is, uh, you, you can't stand for a, a biblical sexual ethic anymore in our country without being accused of being on a political side. I mean, really, if we're honest, if you're against abortion, if you're against sexual immorality, just in general, no. you're going to be deemed a, you know, a conservative Trump loving, whatever they're calling those people these days. And you've just got to get over that, right? Yeah, that that's a it's a manipulation tactic, um, and, and that's that's part of the tools of, of the culture war. And we've seen it, for instance, uh, with the whole COVID vaccine. You know, that's anyone another who's good against, one. yeah, any anyone who's against the mandates that means you're anti-vax. When quite honestly, I'm seeing more and more people who who will say that the vaccine is good and people should get it, um, but they're very much against the the mandates and, and all the measures that that are being taken uh, to to control people. Um, so there, there are a lot of manipulation tactics out there that seek to um, really just just kind of put you in into a category of people that uh, that they portray as really just being the the worst and and the most evil. 
and and realize that you know what they did that to jesus as well i mean when jesus yeah. was casting out demons what did the pharisees say well he does that by the power of beelzebul um basically saying that he operates with the power of satan um so so the, the this is nothing new. Um, there are manipulation tactics that are going to be used by the world, okay, by the world in order to try to shame people into accepting what they want to do or to do what they want to do. And that, that's where we have to continually come back to the Bible, come back, come back to Scripture, and, and just ask ourselves, what must I do to stay faithful to what God's Word says? And, and the other thing I would say as well, and you know, if we're silent when all these issues happen, um, then I, I believe we're failing to be light and salt in the world. Um, light, uh, it means that we shine truth into the world, but salt also means we act as a preservative, meaning that as long as Christians are there, there's there's at least a, a voice of of just a basic morality that people are given by by common grace. You know, so for instance, the, the whole abortion issue, people now, uh, you know, they refer to the baby as a clump of cells inside the womb. That is not, that, that, that is a relatively new belief. Um, but throughout all of history, everyone has understood that that's human life inside of the womb. That, that people understand that by common grace. Um, but we're in a time now where people's minds are allowed to be darkened and it's happening in the schools. So that there's another place where the culture war is happening, where in, in the schools, um, kids are being intentionally trained to hate the church, um, to view the church as as a as a source of spiritual abuse, you know. So th- those are the examples where, if you remain silent, um, that that's what happens. Uh, there's more and more um, of um, of this kind of teaching that happens even at the schools. It affects the children. People get more and more um, hardened. Um, now, of course, the, the gospel is operates with the power of God. So there's no limit to whom it can save. Um, but uh, but as light and salt, we want to. Um, at least stand for truth. Um, but also, I would say this, um, our hope, our hope, 1 Peter one thirteen, and I feel like I quote this every time we have a podcast episode, um, but it says, fix your hope completely uh, upon the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Th- that means, as Paul says in Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is not in this world, it's in heaven. That's where we're looking forward to going. So we stand up for truth. Uh, we we seek for for people to be saved. We um, respond to a culture that grows increasingly hostile against God. Um, hopefully, we end up impacting some change, but that's not our final goal. Our final goal is the salvation of souls, and then also that when things continue to get dark and things don't go our way, we remember what Jesus said. Remember, the world hated him first, and that our hope is not here in this world. Because if we make our hope to be in this world rather than the world to come, then we can get, this can turn into a distraction where it's no longer about eternal realities, about spiritual truth, but it's more about trying to save the world as opposed to individual souls. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. And and so I would encourage people to, to not shrink back, to get involved and to wage war. And the way we do that predominantly is to look for souls to be saved um, to to be evangelizing, to to be looking for opportunities to witness to people with the gospel of Christ. That's how you wage war. And then you know, like you said, I I mean, go back to the apostles' era, and I, and I think you made a really good point. Um, God does the changing, right? We don't do the changing, contrary to what some might believe. Um, and that change comes through regeneration. It, it, the truth is, you cannot change your community. 
In, in fact, it's a stupid idea that a lot of big Christian organizations have bought into. You know why you can't change your community? You can't change your community because unless hearts are changed, they're just going to function out of the same evil they always have functioned out of. So if you really want change, um, th- then it's got to be a change of the heart. And the only way we can participate, as it were, um, in that is to make the gospel known to those around us out of genuine love for them, yeah. right? I mean, we ought to be, and, and if you don't love the people around you, the way to start loving them is to start praying for their souls. Um, and, and I, yeah, it, you know, I won't say anything harsh about not loving the people around you. We live in a very intense world. It's very easy to become callous. We all have to guard against that, I think, especially now with the kind of social media world we live in. But if you haven't been loving the people who don't know Christ, you can start by praying for them because it's incredibly difficult to approach the throne of God on the behalf of another soul and not begin to genuinely love and care for that person. So start there. That's how we wage war. And then to your point, um, the, the apostles turned the world upside down, and yet, in some sense, they didn't change their communities, no. right? Every single one of the apostles, save one, was executed. That's right. Um, and Rome continued in its depravity um, long past that until eventually, you know, well, now look what we have of Rome. You know, uh, Rome is no more. And so, in in that sense, they didn't bring any permanent change either. And so, to your point, we shouldn't be discouraged by that. And yet, they still impacted the world. Um, And that was through the proclamation of the gospel. And that's got to be ours, too. I want to go to Matthew 10, just a a couple passages to make the case of the fact that we, we are in a cultural war. So, don't be afraid of that language. I mean, this is Jesus speaking to the disciples, right? So he says, uh, Matthew 10, 16 through 25, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. I mean, you want to talk about a cultural difference, right? right? I mean, that's his description of him sending the disciples out to just do the work of the ministry. He goes on to say, So be as wary as serpents and as innocent as doves, but be on guard against people, for they will hand you over to the courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will even be brought before governors and kings on my account as a testimony to them, to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you will say, for you are to, uh, for what you are to say will be given you in that hour, for it is not you who are speaking, but it is the spirit of your father who is speaking in you. I mean, he's painting a picture of two utter and total different worlds, right, um, that he's sending disciples out into. Yeah. I, let me keep going because I want to get to verse 25 because you mentioned it earlier. Now, brother will betray brother to death and father his child and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to, get, to, to death. And you will be hated by all because of my name, but it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. But whenever they persecute you in one city, flee to the next. I mean, there's your wisdom for how long we endure. For truly, I say to you, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. And we understand there's some prophetic stuff in there that uh, certainly Paul experienced and some of the other apostles. But I mean, I don't know that we could get any clear description of the fact that we're in a culture war, right? 
He's preparing the disciples to go into an entirely different world, and nothing about that world is safe, right? That's absolutely right. <clears throat> and, and you mentioned, this is how we love our neighbor. You know, and that's uh, the, the phrase, love your neighbor, has been so abused um, over the last year or two. And really, a lot of times when I see people say, love your neighbor, well, what they're really saying is, um, uh, appease them, um, give into what they, they want you to do. Um, you know, basically give into their feelings, uh, emotions, and all that. Um, loving your neighbor um, has less to do with how your neighbor receives it, and and more to do with doing what is going to be best for your neighbor, right? And and so th- th- there's nothing more loving that you can do than to share the gospel. Now. I understand that, hey, if a person's your actual neighbor, you've got opportunities to build a relationship with that person, right? Um, invite them over to, to dinner, um, talk to them, have coffee with them, uh, do, do special favors for them, uh, you know, open up that door so you can start speaking to that person. Um, but at some point, share the gospel. Look for that opportunity when you can really share the gospel with that person. But at the same time, make your faith known early on. So, I mean, everyone around us knows that uh, I'm a pastor, I go to a church, they know what church I, I go to. Um, but uh, with different people, we're developing relationships at, at kind of different speeds. Um, so love your neighbor by looking out for what they need most uh, spiritually. Um, really, that command for the Christian, um, when it says love your neighbor as yourself, well, we're talking about those who have been saved. And so the way you love yourself is really the way God would want you to love yourself. It's not with this kind of selfish, kind of temporal uh, view and, and worldly desires, but but it's by bringing truth, uh, bringing that person to truth. And so, yeah, we, we want to love our neighbor um, God's way. And to your point, as you read through those passages, uh, it's not going to be easy. Um, it, it is a war. And, and let's not overlook the role of the church in this as well, because the, the, the world is going to continue to tempt us, um, and, and we're going to fall. We're going to fall. We're going to stumble in various ways. That's part of the reason why the church is there, so that we can encourage one another. We can equip one another. Um, we can be there to uh, bear each other's burdens when we go through difficult trials on our own. We have sicknesses. We have um, family members who have fallen ill or have passed away or whatever. You know, the, the church is there to help comfort and strengthen one another so that uh, we can overcome and re-engage that war once again by, by helping to be used by God to proclaim His truth. Yeah, I mean, you you hit on several really good points. Uh, you know, I think to go back to the beginning of uh, of your start there. Yeah, I, I mean, just people knowing that you're a Christian. I mean, that should happen somewhat naturally. And, and again, I, I like, I, I'm, I love the allegory of Pilgrim's Progress because yeah. it is so genuine in depicting the realities of the Christian life. And that's not authoritative, right? It's just an allegory, uh, but it's a really good one. And, you know, and it just, again, back to the Vanity Fair, if you're familiar with Pilgrim's Progress, the fact that they knew there was something different about Pilgrim and his companion, I can't remember who he was with, I think it was Faithful, um, who subsequently was persecuted and killed in that town, actually. Mm. Um, but the, the point is they recognize the difference in their speech, in their clothing, in their, um, and, it, you know, just think about it, and you make a good point, like we, we evangelize different people in different ways. Um, I'm careful not to promote a particular method of evangelizing. Um, I, I really just don't care, actually, as long as it's biblical, right? You get people yeah. to the gospel. Right. Um, it, some people you can take longer with 
if you're on a flight and you got an hour with someone, you're limited. And so just be wise in those things. Um, but it, people should know that you're different. And in our world, increasingly so, they will know if you are seeking to be like Christ, because your speech will be radical to the world. Um, the, the way you dress will be more appropriate than what we see in the world, especially for ladies. Um, the way you act in kindness, it, you know, it's some great irony that the group of people who proclaim to be the most inclusive and loving and friendly are some of the most hate-filled people I've ever encountered. That shouldn't surprise us. They're children of wrath. We were the same in some ways before we came to Christ. But here comes someone who's genuinely loving, right? Even yeah. when there's opposition, and that's different. And we might not think much of it, but when they have crisis, um, maybe God brings to memory, you know what, that guy down the road said he's a Christian, and I don't know what to do. My life's falling apart. Um, and, and your Christian witness has something to do with it. And I don't think we, we should count on that as our primary way of evangelizing. Right. But it's just to make the point that you made uh, that we should. It provides uh, credibility. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and people need to see to church involvement. I mean, it's, the church should be the center of the life of the Christian. It, it really should be. Um, the church is your family, your people, right? Um, I mean, they're, they're, these are the people you're going to spend eternity to in. All, so much of the, the ordinary means of grace are found within the church. We edify one another. We encourage one another. We can relate to one another. We're a part of the same kingdom, right? We're citizens under the yeah. same throne. Um, and, and so we have all of those guards and protections and aids, and, and we should be involved in the, in the local church and faithful to the local church. Um, and, and then when these difficulties come, we're not fighting that battle alone. And I think that's a lot of problems. A lot of Christians are isolated. Um, and, and let me just say, while I'm thinking about that, kind of a rabbit trail, um, since, you know, it's our podcast and we can do that. <laughs> um, yeah. As much as we all talk about find a healthy biblical church, uh, let me just say, guys, particularly in reform circles, I think the temptation is many have become far too critical of what is a healthy biblical church. We do not mean a perfect church. Yeah. Um, you're never going to find a pastor who is not also a sinner. You're never going to find a church where reconciliation doesn't have to happen because people hurt one another. That You're just never going to find that. Um, but if they teach sound doctrine, if the preacher is an expository preacher, if they take care with their, um, with their worship music and, and the lyrics, and notice I didn't say style, forget about all that, um, then get plugged in and where there needs to be good godly change then just be faithful and do what the Bible tells you to. We address, yeah. we come to one another when we sin against one another. Go to your pastor and, and ask about concerns if you have in some other things. But there's no such thing as a faithful Christian who just doesn't have a local church. If you lived in Ephesus, that was your church. I mean, unless you moved cities, that, that's all you had. Uh, if you're running from persecution during Nero's reign, the church you had was the church you had. Um, and if it was lacking, the responsibility was on one another to hold each other accountable. So that's my rabbit trail. Um, but it's all to say that being a part of the local body is that important. 
I want to read one other passage from Matthew again, just to kind of talk about it. Do you want to interject in any of that, brother, before we move? No, I, I, I was just thinking of um, Revelation uh, 1, 2, and 3 when Jesus writes the seven letters to the seven churches. I mean, at that time, you're getting towards the end. Seven letters to seven churches, um, each of them different from one another. Um, but to your point, uh, be plugged in. And, and there is no perfect church. If a church claims to be perfect, then run, um, because they're, that's that's a church that's uh, filled with with pride and hubris. Um, but yeah, be at a place where the Word of God is taught faithfully. It doesn't mean you're going to agree with everything that's being taught, but if you trust the integrity uh, of the person that's teaching it, and, and you believe that the person is exercising um, good biblical interpretation principles— um, that's that's the place you want to be be fed at. Um, so that that that's that's just what was coming to my mind. And you're right. Don't don't make it an exercise of trying to find the perfect church. Uh, find one that where the, the the foundation of the word is clearly there, and then get yourself plugged in and just start serving. Yeah, absolutely. Expository preaching, and they take care in their worship, and the elders are biblically qualified men, and get plugged in there um, and stay there. You know, and if you don't have that church, then plant one, find someone else to plant one or move. Um, yeah. we, we've got to have that because you you are in a war and, and you will suffer even more so if you're doing it alone. Uh, to make the case for the culture war just one more time, let me go to Matthew 24, 3 through 14. I mean, so this is Jesus sitting on the Mount of Olives. Disciples come to him. Um, and they're selling, you know, they're, they're asking, when are all these things going to happen, the sign of your return and the coming of the end of the age? And so Jesus answers them, and let me read to He says, see to it that no one misleads you, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will mislead many people. Um, so regardless of what eschatological position you take, there's a lot of principles here. Um, he's making it clear that there's danger right? Danger of being misled, if possible. He says, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places, but all these things are merely the beginning of the birth pains. Now, everything around them was totally destroyed. I mean, every civilization that that was around when these guys lived no longer exist. Okay. But the principle is still the same for us. Uh, we still have wars. We still have nations yeah. rise against each other. The point is um, we're in a war, right? And, and it's not an easy uh, place. It, it, this is not an easy Christianity. I, I think one of the worst things that has happened to American Christianity is easy believism, yeah. right? Come to God He'll make your life great. He'll make your life grand, and you'll just be easy peasy. Uh, that's just not true, right? We should just start preaching, come to Christ, and you'll lose your life. <laughs> uh, that, that's a more accurate message. But in verse 9, he says, then they will hand you over to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. So he goes on. I won't go through the rest of that. Um, but you, you get the sense that for Christians, you're in a totally different world. It, God has saved us out of you know, our sins and out of a dark world. We were children of wrath being led by the spirit of the age. We understand under Satan's authority. Um, God's pulled us out of that. He's brought us. He's adopted us as children of his kingdom. And so, 
everything we think, we believe, we strive for is at enmity against the world. And so you're in a culture war and you can't escape it. The question is, how do you be faithful in that? And I guess this would go back to, well, the first uh, place would be to be plugged into a local church because that is primarily where you grow and where you learn uh, to love the things of the Lord, um, learn what it means to be holy and how to pray and how to evangelize and those sort of things. And that's God's grace for us. Amen. Yeah, <clears throat> I agree with um, all of those things. Um, so we just we need to be prepared. Uh, we need to have our eyes fixed on eternity. Um, we need to love um, those whom we are witnessing to, recognize that our battle is not uh, flesh and blood. Our war is not against the flesh, but it is against the really the, um, the, the realm of darkness and that the realm of darkness is using people um, in order to accomplish um, their, their goals. And that's the whole point of Ephesians 2, 2. You followed after the course of the world. You followed after um, the, the, the prince of the power of the air. Um, so we continue to march forward. We continue to seek after God's will. And then the church, being involved in a church, um, being, being in communion, regular communion with God, um, constantly being in the word, uh, renewing our mind with the word, those things are all critical. We use the phrase, um, always reforming, sempa reformata, right? And uh, the, the idea of that is not that, um, uh, you know, that we're constantly changing what truth is. No, but we're constantly changing ourselves towards, uh, towards, towards getting closer and closer to the truth because um, the world and, and even our own hearts will tempt us to, to move away from it. Um, so we just stand upon the truth. We stand upon the word. We trust in God in all things. And, and this is also, you know, as you mentioned, the suffering and the persecution and how God is not, uh, you know, the American Christianity has misled a lot of people into thinking that God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, happy, and all that stuff. Well, in some sense, I would say, yeah, God does want you to be happy. He does want you to be joyous, um, but he wants you to be happy and joyous through the trials, um, not in absence of them. He, he's going to use those those trials and those difficulties that come, and, and he's going to show you a piece of God that you can have even in the midst uh, of some of the most uh, serious trials. Uh, God is not a killjoy. He's not out here to try to make us as miserable as possible or, or to make us as unhappy as possible. If you're thinking in that way that, oh, great, God just wants us to be as miserable and un unhappy as possible, well, you're thinking about the wrong way. Um, because recognize you're in, a, you're in a world that hates God. And if you stand up for God, you will be hated as well. But the blessing of God is that even though you stand on truth and, and you're willing to stand against the, the tide of the world, that the blessing of God is that, no, you're actually going to find a kind of peace and contentment and joy that's going to surpass all human understanding. So in that sense, uh, you can look forward to um, a health, wealth, and prosperity, but one of a spiritual nature um, that will come about um, not in the absence, but through all the difficulties and trials that come from being a child of God. Yeah, amen, w which is basically Matthew 5.11, right, uh, which we've done last week. You know, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is in heaven, uh, or your reward in heaven is great. And that's to your point, it's a spiritual reward. So we're in a spiritual battle. We're in a culture war. Salvation is all about a drastic change of culture. You're taken from the culture of death to one of life. And that's the biggest culture war ever. And yeah. we can't escape it. So until next time, let the truth be known. 
The Truth Be Known podcast is a theologically driven, gospel-centered program serving the body of Christ by bringing biblical truth to bear on issues facing the church today. Subscribe to the Truth Be Known podcast by using the podcast app on your Apple or Android device or listen online at strivingforeternity.org in the podcast section.